Good morning. morning. Got you again. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, I got a new microphone. Might be toying around with some stuff here for a minute. The old one broke, so um, we're stuck with this. So if you have feedback from my shirt, I'm sorry. I was working on my dance moves earlier to see if it would give feedback, and it did. So we might get some. I'm not going to dance this morning, though, so I'll bear you that pain. Um, We are going to be in Revelation again this morning. And um, I tell you, last week, super excited about it. This week, um, it's going to get interesting. If you've read through Revelation, we are going to cover about uh, like 14 chapters this morning. So we're going to take a super high view of it. We're not going to get into a lot of detail, but um, it's going to be great. God's got a word for us this morning. Um, Have you ever had those moments in life where it's like, man, you can remember where you were at that moment? Um, Obviously, September 11th, 2001, that is one that people remember. I was in this location. I was in the junior high classroom of my high school. They wheeled in a TV and revealed everything that was going on on that date. Um, another one that I can remember, December 31st, 1999. That is one that stuck in my head. Maybe you know why. Because that was what was the famous last New Year's Eve that the world was supposed to experience because Y2K was going to happen. And so for you youngins that don't know what Y2K is, um, it's the year 2000 where apparently everybody thought computers were not going to be able to switch from 1999 to 2000 and like the whole economy was going to crash because of it. And so everybody thought that... The world was going to end because the economy was going to crash. Maybe not everybody. Me, pretty much. Um, I thought the world was going to end because, again, I was like Chicken Little. The world is ending. The world is ending. It's going to come. Another one is May. Nope, not May. December 12th, 2012. I think it was December. It might have been May. Where, again, there's actually a movie based on this one. It's called 2012. Where the Mayan calendar stopped working and we couldn't just add one more day to it the end of the world was going to come because the Mayan calendar ceased to count past that date and then obviously 2020 March of 2020 we had this big outbreak of this virus and from that we started seeing a lot of like overreach of governments we saw a lot of new things being instituted in the world we saw vaccines we saw the the kind of like the hinting at if you don't have it you're not going to be able to purchase or sell we're going to limit things on that and a lot of people were thinking the world is ending and I mean in reality we're still here today So none of those have come true. Congratulations. If you are alive, you have survived the end of the world multiple times. Um, So if you're hearing my voice, congratulations. Um, But all of that is because we have constantly had these scenarios where the end of the world is coming. And people are constantly trying to figure that out. And even Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 said the end of all things is near. He said the end of all things is at hand. 
So therefore, you should be self-controlled. You should be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And so, like, we're talking, like, Jesus, freshly risen from the dead, freshly ascended into heaven, and Peter, almost 2,000 years ago, is making the statement, the end is here. The end is at hand. And, and we don't know, I don't know when the end is going to come. But what we do know, as we saw last week, is it's going to get really crazy. Like as you read through Revelation, as we look at the stuff we're going to look at this morning, oh my word, like buckle up if you're here, which is why I don't want to be here. In reality, like it's not the fun roller coaster I want to go on. Take me away, Jesus. Let me come home to you and just live in eternity in your presence. But again, we read Revelation a lot of times and we get the mindset that it is inciting fear in us. We read it and we don't understand everything. We see a lot of the crazy things that are going on. And it's just like, oh, my word, what in the world God is going on? I'm scared. I don't want to be there. That is how I read Revelation, honestly, every single time until I read it this time. Because Revelation was not written to incite fear, but to inject courage in us. And I believe it's based on these four truths that we see when we go through the book of Revelation. That we're looking at for this series. The first truth we looked at last week, Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is worthy and nobody else is. And so we're going to continue on in our series as we look at Revelation because we saw Jesus is worthy. And then we're going to get to this crazy middle section. But the truth that we're going to end on is Jesus reigns. Jesus is victorious. I mean, it's not like even a doubt of who's going to win and who's going to lose. We know Jesus is victorious. And so, like I said, we're covering a whole lot tonight, or tonight, this morning. Um, And so, I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to get into our word today. So, if you'll join me, Father God, thank you again that we see your word, and God, we can read it, and we can can see that, man, it, it is, there's some crazy stuff that goes on. But God, we also know your truth and your word. And God, you say, blessed is the one who reads these words aloud. Blessed is the one who hears them and blessed is the one who keeps them. And so God, may we just do that. May we be faithful to that. And as we read them, as we look at them, as we dive into your word, God, may it be your word that is spoken. And may we find courage, not in ourselves, but in you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Amen. So nobody really argues with the first five chapters of Revelation. I mean, it's really not that bad of a reading even. Like you read Revelation chapter one through five, and we start out in chapter one where uh, John is taken, uh, or actually chapter one, John is given a command, write these words. And then for the next three chapters, he's told what to write to seven different churches in Asia Minor. Pretty straightforward. And then we hit chapter 4, where John is taken up in spirit into the throne room of God. And we talked about that last week. Where he gets to see the throne of God and the 24 elders surrounding it. And then there's the four creatures that are singing, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. And then we have John who focuses in on the one who is on the throne. And remember, that's important to remember. The throne's not empty. The throne is not in a power struggle right now. 
God is on the throne. And so we're able to look in at that and see that God is on the throne. And then John sees in the hand of him a scroll. And he's like, man, who is worthy to open the scroll? There's nobody on hev- in heaven, on earth, or under the earth that is worthy to open the scroll. And then he's told by one of the elders, weep not. Because he starts weeping because nobody can be found to open the scroll. So he's told, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so John turns and he sees a lamb as though it were slain. And then in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, we see everybody starts singing, Whole, worthy, worthy are you to take the scroll. Worthy are you, the lamb who was slain. Worthy are you, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Only you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. Because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We're not worthy. Only God is worthy. And so we get through those first five chapters and it's like, yeah, That's pretty good. I can live with all of that. And then you flip to chapter 6. And things start getting crazy. Because in chapter 6, you get these seven seals. And so the first four seals are kind of known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. As, As he opens the first seal, we see this white horse comes out. And he's going to judge and he's going to rule with a bow. And he has a crown on his head. And it's like, man, is that Jesus? And then we realize, wait, Jesus rules with a sword, not a bow. This is one imitating Jesus. This is the Antichrist. And then he opens the second seal. And it's a red horse that comes and is able to take peace from the world. And so we have war going on. And then we see a third scroll that is opened. And another horse, a black horse, comes with weighted scales in his hands. And famine is going to go through the world. And then we see a fourth horse that comes. And it is the color of pale. Or as I've heard it said, the color of just gross. Like, just nastiness. It's, it's a deathly color. And it's coming. And on it is writing death. And following it is Hades. And then we get the fifth seal. And that seal is open. And we hear the cry of those who have been martyred for Christ saying, How long before we are, redeemed, before we are avenged? How long before our blood is avenged? And then we see six The sixth seal is open. And then, I mean, like it says a a great earthquake happens. We see that the sky turns to darkness. The moon becomes blood. Stars fall to the earth. The sky completely vanishes. Mountains and islands are removed. We're told that the kings, the generals, the powerful, the rich, the influential, the poor, they're all going to run into the hills and they're going to beg for the rocks to fall on them. They're going to say, please fall on us to kill us, to save us from the wrath of the lamb who was slain. For who can stand against that? And then the seventh seal opens. And there's silence for half an hour. And I mean, you read those and I mean, you read certain scholars who have studied longer than I've been alive. And they're going to say, this is what it all means. And then you read other scholars who have studied longer than I've been alive. And they're going to say, this is what it all means. And it's like, what does it all mean? I'll just tell you right now. I don't know. Like, that's the truth. I'm not even going to try and interpret it for you, but we're going to cover it all still. I'm sorry if you came for answers on what all of those mean. I know that it means great distress. 
and great tribulation is going to come. And I also know that according to that sixth seal, people are going to want to die, but they're not going to be able to. Revelation chapter 9 says they're actually going to seek death, but death will evade them. It is going to be that serious of a time. And so the question is, as they're left with, who can stand against the wrath of him? In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, he says, Behold, after this I looked, and a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb of God, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they cried with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Who can stand through all of this? We're told throughout the Bible, the ones who can stand are the ones who are found in Jesus, the ones who have been washed clean by his blood. That is who can stand. And frankly, if you want my hope and my view, we won't be here for that. But I could be wrong. And again, that is not the important part because we allow these things to pull us away from the truth. Because after we have those seven seals, we then get seven trumpets. And again, crazy things happen. We have hail mixed with fire, which is mixed with blood. And we have a third of the earth burned up, a third of the trees burned up, a third of, um, actually not a third, all of the grass is burned up. And again, it's like, oh my goodness, like Wow, that's crazy. We get a second trumpet and a mountain burning with fire is thrown into a sea and now a third of all the waters is destroyed. We get another one and great stars fall to the heavens and a third of the rivers and springs are turned bitter. Then we get a third of the sun struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. I mean, we just constantly see things vanishing, things getting destroyed. And then we come across Revelation chapter 9 verse 6 where it says... In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee them. And I just want to take a moment and say, do you see why I was always freaked out of being left behind? Like, oh my word, maybe you are way more courageous than me. But it's like, please God, don't, no. I don't want to be here for that. And it was inciting fear inside of me. But God gave us revelation to invoke courage because we're not a people to be led by fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but instead one of power, one of faith, one of love for him. And so we are to have courage through all of this. I'm going to start moving a little bit quicker. But then starting in Revelation chapter 11, we start seeing the two witnesses and they're going to preach. And then they're actually going to get killed because they insult the earth and the earth is offended by them. And then they actually come back to life and are called up to heaven. And then we see two beasts enter the scene and one looks like it's been uh, already destroyed, already killed, but it comes back to life. And we're told to worship the beast. And then we have this dragon that tries eating this woman's baby. And I mean, it, it, I, again, the whole middle section is just crazy because then God's pouring out his wrath. And we see seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out. And then lastly, we see a great prostitute and we see her taking the blood of the saints. And so through all of that, you can read all of that and the question can become, God, are you in control? If you stop right there, 
You're left with that question. If all you ever do is focus on those things, which I have been guilty of so much of my life, of seeing like, oh, who's the Antichrist? Oh, is that the first beast? Is that the second beast? Is now the mark of the beast? Is that what I'm going to have to worship? Did God take everybody but me? If you focus on all of that, you start to question, God, are you really in control? And Jesus even tells us in the Gospels, as he is preaching to us, he says, beware, these are the signs of the time. He says in Matthew 24, many are going to come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you're going to hear of wars, rumors of wars. You're going to see, and he says, see that you are not alarmed for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And I mean, if you read any news article, you're going to see, wow, that's pretty much happening right now. And it's like, all right, is the end now? Is this happening? Are we ready? Is Jesus coming back? And Jesus continues on to say some even more kind of, harsh things or strong things. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Again, it's like you don't have to look very far. To see that we have glimpses, not even just glimpses, like that is almost taking full effect in society and globally today. And he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And if I'm honest, that's one of those parts of the Bible I'd like to remove. It's like Jesus saying, you know what, because you're following me, they're going to hand you over to tribulation. They're going to put you to death. They're going to hate you because of me. And it's like, man, like, can we just do the love and the riches and the blessings part? We don't get to pick and choose the faith that we have. We have a faith in God. And if we start looking at the circumstances, it pulls us away from, again, the very one who is worthy. So we have to keep our eyes fixed on him because that's how Paul actually tells us we wage war against this. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, he says, We wage war, but the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. We don't go out there with swords and spears, but instead we have weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds. This is how we destroy them. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so as we're reading through those middle sections, because again, there is a blessing on those who read it aloud. A blessing on those who hear it. A blessing on those who keep it. And so as we're in the book of Revelation, it shouldn't be avoided. We should go into it, but as we're in it, we take every thought captive. We don't allow ourselves to be pulled astray and distracted by these things that are going on, but we hold to these truths that Jesus is worthy 
And then if Jesus stopped at Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, where he said, because lawlessness will abound, the love will begin to grow cold. Or if Jesus stopped in Revelation chapter 18, where he ends up saying that like the beast and the prostitute are going to come and the, the dragon are going to come and lead many astray. That's a sad ending. But instead we get a glimpse of where we get to find hope regardless of what comes our way. Regardless of the time where they come and they hate you because of Christ. Regardless of the time where they might hand you over because of Christ. Regardless of the time where in Nigeria 50 believers lost their life because of Jesus. That they are able to say, take my life. Because, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? It's nowhere. Because thanks be to God, we're victorious. Because Jesus is victorious. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, after all of that stuff, behold, a white horse... This is the true king, not that imposter that came in Revelation chapter 6, the true king. Behold, a rider on a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then he says, I saw... An angel stand in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast who was reigning. I saw the kings of the earth with their armies that were gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all all the birds were gorged on their flesh. Jesus is victorious. Like you read that, like you read chapter 6 through chapter 18 and you, you might start questioning, man, God, are you in control? And then you read chapter 19 and you see without a doubt, Jesus is victorious. Like notice the two differences of the way that Jesus came. Like I think sometimes we got to like retrain our thinking about Jesus. Because like the first time Jesus came, he came in humility. He came as an infant. He came needing to learn. He came without power. He didn't come with a loud trumpet. He didn't come announcing it. He was born in a stable. 
praise God that he came that way so that he could be, as we're told in Corinthians, he could suffer how we suffer and he could be tempted in every single way that we are so that he knows what we go through. So there was a meaning and a purpose for that. But so often we look back at that time and we still see Jesus as this meek, mild, humble, this like pushover Jesus. Like there's this, um, uh, you can find it on YouTube, but they did this video where they have Jesus walking around with this really like wimpy voice. Because that's how a lot of people view Jesus. Just like this, like, you know, Jesus like, hey guys, please, you know, please stop. Almost like the cop, Barney Fife pretty much. Like, I got one bullet in my pocket, and I'm not even going to be able to use it. Just please don't do that. And it's like, nah, like Revelation chapter 19, we get to see who Jesus is. That he's coming back right around a white horse. He's coming back with the word of God coming out of his mouth. A double-edged sword, and he is going to slay the beast and the dragon and the kings and the rulers and everybody who thought they were in control and thought they were victorious. He's coming, and he's coming with great wrath. And he is going to be victorious. And again, we see today where it's like, man, okay, it seems like evil's winning. I mean, it seems like the the governments keep passing things that are so anti-God. And we see people become lovers of self and they're calling good evil and evil good. And it's like, God, where are you today? Are you in control? Is there this tug of war for who is victorious? And then we read Revelation 17, 9, Revelation chapter 19, verse 17 through 21, where it says, by his word, he slays them all. He doesn't even have to lick, lift a finger. Like he is that powerful. It's not even a contest. So when fear starts working itself into your life, regardless of what that fear is, fear of the end times, fear of the current situations, fear of some health situation, fear of whatever it is, we remind ourselves of the truth in Revelation chapter 19 that Jesus is victorious. And because he's victorious, we're victorious too. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who through Jesus Christ has given us the victory. As Paul said, who shall save us? Who's going to deliver me from this wretched body of sin? Thanks be to God who through Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 6, please let the rocks fall on us so that we can die. For who can stand against the great wrath of God? Revelation chapter 7 verse 10, salvation belongs to him who sits on the throne, to God and to the Lamb. That is where we find victory. Through Jesus, we are overcomers because of that. This is what we place hope in. This is the hope that we have. As, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, don't be uninformed like non-believers who when somebody passes, they mourn. But instead, we take hope because we know that at the sound of a trumpet, Jesus is going to return and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we with them shall meet God in the air. I mean, that's the victory that we have found solely in Jesus. We find hope in that. And the thing is that, yes, while we're on this earth, things are going to get unpleasant. Even if, like, the rapture happens and we all get taken away before the tribulation, things are going to get crazy. 
Things are going to be unpleasant. Jesus says, John chapter 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my name's sake. Blessed are you when people insult you, revile you, falsely say things about you because of me. Peter talks about we are going to suffer, but we can take hope in suffering for good. What good is it if you suffer, suffer for doing wrong? So we find hope in that. That even though we go through difficult times, we still have a victory. That Jesus is victorious. Because to be honest, this world is evil. This world is a fallen world. I'm a fallen human being. God says in Genesis chapter 8 verse 21... He says, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Romans chapter 3. We are all evil by birth. And so the bigger question would be, why does God not just wipe us out? So there, because there's people who are like, okay, like, why is he waiting? God, just come. Wipe it all out. Take me home. I'm the one that's deserving. Romans says there is no one who does good. No, not one. Ephesians tells us that we're not saved by our own good works. We're saved by grace through faith, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But it is the free gift of God. And so again, why is it that we are left here waiting? Peter answers this question. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, My beloved, do not overlook this one fact, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some fulfill slowness, or as some count slowness. But he's patient towards you because he does not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, Jesus has not come because Jesus desires for me, more people to come to him. He desires that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know what? This is the mission you're called to. This is the mission we are all commanded to fulfill. This is the, one of the last things Jesus says before he leaves the earth. So you would think it's pretty important. It's like, man, if you got one last thing you could say to somebody, what would it be? And Jesus, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So you better listen because what I say goes. I have all authority. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I just want to ask you, knowing that Jesus is returning, knowing this truth that we have from God in Revelation chapter 19, knowing that he's victorious, how seriously are we about the fact that he will return and we know people who will not be his chosen, who will not be going with him? We know people who will suffer. How seriously are we about that? Knowing that he's victorious and that we're victorious, but that we have neighbors, we have co-workers, we have family, we have friends who are not who have not placed their faith in him. 
Because we're told in Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 12, he says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Peter goes on to tell us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, right after he says, you know, the Lord doesn't count slowness as we count slowness, but he's patient toward all so that all may come to repentance. He says in chapter 3, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's going to come when we least expect it. It might come today. It might come a year from now. It might not even come in our lifetime. But Peter continues on in verse 14. He says, therefore, beloved, this is how you conduct yourself. Since you are waiting for these, be diligent, be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Then verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Stand firm in the word of God, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be both the glory now and on the day of eternity. Amen. This is how we live until he returns. We grow in him, we stand in him, and we wait for him. But he doesn't call us to just wait. He says, I'm giving you a mission. Go. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all the commands that I have given you. And so I want to I end with these two questions presented by Dr. James Kennedy, and I've asked them before, so if you've come here, you might be familiar with them. If you died today, not even if you died. If Jesus returned today, if this was your last sermon that you were going to hear, if it was the last lunch you were going to get, if this is the last blink you were going to have, on a scale of 1 to 10, how certain are you that you're going to heaven? How certain, thank you. How certain are you that your name is written in that book of life? Scale of 1, 1 being 0, or 1 being I'm not certain at all. Actually, I know I'm not. 10 being without a doubt. Praise God, we have a couple 10s in here. I'm sure we have quite a few more. But then if God said, why am I letting you in? Why, why is your name written in the book of life? What would you say? <laughs> I love the callback. Yeah, if you say anything else. If you say, well, you see, I attended 48 out of 52 church services a year. If you say, I gave not only 10, but I gave 20% of my income. If you say, I helped the elderly. If you say, I visited the widows and orphans. If you say anything of what you did and nothing of what Jesus has done and your faith being placed in him, that is the only answer, people. We are saved solely. You are saved by grace alone through your faith. That's how you're saved. Not a result of works so that no one can boast, but a gift from God. 
That is the only way. God has made it so that you can be certain. He wants you to be a 10. He gave Jesus so that you can be a 10. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross should make you a 10. Because it's not Jesus covered 50 and I have to do the other 50. It is Jesus covered 100. And I place my faith in that. He wants you to be a 10 solely based on that work. He says so. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only son that whoever not works hard, not tries harder, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Then he goes on in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in the world in order that the world might be saved through him. So whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Romans 10 says, If you confess with your mouth and that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then verse 13, So faith, so for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To say, God, I cannot save myself. I need the work of Jesus. I can't do 99 and you do one. I can do absolutely zero and you do it all. And then Ephesians 2 again, for grace you have, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. If you're not a 10, man, we end every service with an opportunity to be able to kind of dive in deeper, give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Where if you're not a 10, like he's saying right now, right here, today, you can be a 10. You can know that if Jesus returns, you're not going to be left behind. Like I worried for so long. Because it's not what you do, it is solely what Jesus did. And he says, believe in me. Place your faith in me. Realize that it's not the work that you could ever try and do. It is solely the work that Jesus has done. And you saying that work and that work alone. And then we just live out of that. Not for it, but out of it. We give our lives over to him. We surrender to him through that. But he offers salvation. He offers a 10 out of 10 certainty today. And it is found in Jesus. So as Kurt comes up and Laura, as they lead us in this final song, I just want to encourage you, man, if you're not a 10, pray to God, find somebody in this room that you trust. Maybe it's come forward, let everybody know. Maybe it's just go grab somebody. Maybe it's end up calling them afterwards. But do not miss out on the opportunity that God is giving daily, hourly, minutely, secondly, to give your life over to him, to be a 10. Because he's victorious, therefore we're victorious as well through the blood of Jesus. Father God, we thank you for the assurance that we can have that it's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And so God, I pray for those who are a 10, may we see what you say in 2 Peter 3.10, that that day is going to come like a thief in the night. And there's going to be so many people that are unprepared. God, may we, may we take the mission to go and share the gospel. May that be on our hearts so heavily, God, as we have family, friends, neighbors, relatives, uh, coworkers, whoever, God, that we take that mission seriously. And God, if there be anybody that is not certain, 
May they find somebody. May they either come talk to me or somebody they trust so that they can find salvation in the only place it can be found in Jesus. And God, ultimately, we just want to praise you because you're victorious and therefore you are worthy of all the praise. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.